All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to iTown. It's good to have you in the house today. I want to say hello to our campuses. We love you guys so very much. Great to have you with us, our church family watching online, and those of you who are at correctional facilities across the state. Come on, church, let's welcome them as well. Great to have you today. If you haven't already, grab something to take some notes with. We're going to jump into God's Word here, and I am excited to bring the conclusion of this series, Go Everywhere and Tell Everyone. We started this series out with our revival nights, and God moved in an incredible way. But then we have to ask the question, what is revival all about? And it can't just end with powerful services. There's got to be a point to it, and there certainly is, because we are the ones that God has called to fulfill the Great Commission, to go everywhere and tell everyone. So we've kind of been on that journey, understanding what that is all about. So let me rewind for just a minute for those of you that may have missed revival or maybe have forgotten. We went to Ezekiel, where the prophet Ezekiel had this amazing prophecy. He was a contemporary of Daniel. So, of course, Babylon has come and conquered the nation of Israel, carried the people off into exile, destroyed this city. The gates are all broken down. The walls are broken down. The country has just been kind of obliterated, and God's people have lost hope. And so he takes Ezekiel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to this valley full of bones, and he asks this question, do you believe that these bones can become living people again? And it really challenges all of us. Do we believe that God is a wonder-working God? Do we believe miracle power is for today? Do we believe that we serve a God that brings dead things to life? It's important that we believe that because his resurrection power is available to all of us. And so he says to Ezekiel, I've got a plan for my people to restore them. There's a journey that they need to take. And we actually find that journey all throughout Scripture. It's all in the Old Testament and in the New it's God's plan for his people. So it starts here, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 12. Give them this message. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile, and I will cause you to rise again, and then I will bring you back to the land of Israel and put my spirit in you, and you will live. You'll return home to the land, and then you'll know that I am the Lord. There are four steps there that are a part of the journey. And again, it's here. We see it again as God brings the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt to the promised land. We see it all throughout the New Testament in the Great Commission. This is God's plan for humanity. It begins with rescuing us. That is salvation. I'm gonna open up your graves, he says, because we serve a resurrected king who wants to resurrect us. Amen, everybody? He specializes in bringing dead things to life. There's no death that's ever final because our Savior holds the keys of all the hell and all the death that you and I will ever walk through in this life. And he opens up that grave at salvation. And we become spiritually alive in Christ, made brand new. Now we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. But that's not where God wants to stop. It's not, salvation is not just about fire insurance. It's not just about avoiding hell while you still deal with all your addictions and all your abuse and all your pain. No, the truth is he wants to not just open the grave, but make us rise again. That's a restoration process that's going to take place in our lives because you don't have to struggle in this life. Jesus said the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you can live life to the fullest. That's not in eternity. That's here in this life. You are more than an overcomer because the power of God lives on the inside of you. 
And you are more than a conqueror. You are victorious in this life. The Bible says he always causes us to triumph. And so we should be living this victorious life. Many of us, like Lazarus, have been called out of the grave, but we still got the grave clothes on. There's still things that are binding us and holding us back. And I just want you to know God has more for your life. He wants to set you free. He wants to heal your body. He wants to rescue your soul. He wants to repair your marriage. He wants to save your kids. He wants to bless your finances. God has a great plan for your life. And he tells us it's better than the plan that we have for our own lives. There is a restoration that God wants to do in your life. But it's not just about getting you in a better place so that you feel good as a Christian. No, he also wants to redeem you. He said to the nation of Israel, I'm going to take you back to the promised land. I'm going to get you to the place that I've called you to be. Redemption means to put back to its original intent. Because the children of Israel, when they were in captivity in Egypt, he said, you weren't made for baking bricks and building Egyptian houses and Egyptian temples. No, you were made for more. You're my people. You were called by my name. You need to be a covenant people and you need to live in the promised land. He comes with that same message to Israel. You're going to come back to the promised land. You're not made to live in Babylon as slaves. You are made to be set free. And today he says the same thing. You were never made just to look like the world and act like the world and talk like the world, be broke like the world, depressed like the world, addicted like the world. No, you were born on purpose and for a purpose. There is a redemptive calling on your life. There are people that you are called to impact and a difference that you are called to make. And life never really makes sense until you get to that place. He says, I'm going to put you back to your original intent. I'm going to get you back home. And then he lastly says, and I'm going to put my spirit on the inside of you. That's revival. I'm going to revive you. That's when we're living by the power of the Holy Spirit. That word, put the spirit on the inside of you, is the literally that word, breath of life, is the essence of God. It's the ruach. You got to kind of clear your throat like you're going to cough. It's the ruach in the Hebrew. It literally means the essence of God, the breath of God. It represents the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this relationship with God, as we take this journey, he renews us, he restores us, he redeems us, and then he empowers us so we can live the life God's called us to live. And every one of us are on this journey. This is the Christian life following Christ. So we all need to be taking steps. And our job as a church is simply to facilitate that process. We don't have a plan for your life, but God does. And so we want to help you move from wherever you might be today to where God has called you to be. Maybe you've never surrendered to the Lord. Today is the day to let him rescue you. Or maybe you're still struggling with issues of your past and wounds that you've walked through. God wants to heal you and restore you today. Maybe you're healthy, but you're not serving. You're not making a difference. You haven't identified your redemptive calling. God wants you to take that step and jump out and get involved and serve in some kind of a way, which we'll talk about today. Maybe you've never really allowed the Holy Spirit to put wind in your sails and to lead you step by step. It's time to surrender to him. See, God wants to do something in you because God wants to do something through you. That's what revival is all about. God's reviving us so that we can take the message to a world that is hurting outside these walls. Second Corinthians, we read it a couple of weeks ago. It says, for God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And then he gave us the message of reconciliation. So we are now Christ's ambassadors. He's making his appeal through us. 
So we all agree the gospel must be preached. We all agree the world has to be saved. But guess whose job it is? It's not just mine, it's yours. All of us collectively are Christ's ambassadors, and so we're telling the world, come back to God, that's our message. And so the whole idea of this series is we need God to revive us because there is a world that needs revival, so we're supposed to, according to Jesus, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Say it with me, go everywhere, tell everyone. Go everywhere, tell everyone. Go everywhere, tell everyone. That's our job. That's the reason why we're here on the other side of the cross. That's the reason why God has saved you and forgiven you and restored you and redeemed you is because there are people who need you. There is a world that needs the message of the hope of Jesus Christ. And it's why it's good news because they don't have to pay for their sins. They don't have to live in pain. They don't have to stay addicted because Jesus has come to set them free. Today, I want to conclude this series. We started this journey talking about what God wants to do in our lives and kind of starting the momentum of understanding it's the message to go everywhere, tell everyone. Pastor Adam did an amazing job while I was away helping us understand how to tell our story. Pastor Chris did an amazing job bringing the word. He ain't no substitute teacher, praise the Lord for that. He is a minister of the gospel, an anointed man of God. So thankful for him. Great message last weekend. Divine interruptions are opportunities to share the gospel. We'll talk more about that today. I want to kind of practically pull the whole series together and talk about our job and our perspective that needs to shift if we are going to be the kind of church that God has called us to be, if we're going to let revival actually do its work and make a difference in the world around us. It's going to take you to a passage in Matthew 9, and we've been here many times before. In fact, it was a theme verse for one of our entire series but it's one of the verses that I just love, so much rich truth that Jesus teaches us. In Matthew 9, verses 36 to about 38, we'll hang out today. In verse 36, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The first thing, I'm going to give you four today. The first thing that we need to do if we're really going to make a difference and live out revival outside these walls is that we have got to become aware. We have to understand what's happening in the world around us. And, and to be honest, I do this for a living, so Kate and I obsess over the needs of our community and what is happening in the world to children and to adults and in our culture. We're trying to respond to those needs. That's our job as pastors, so our ministry team, we all kind of are consumed with this, but I want you to join us in carrying the weight of recognizing what's happening around you. Because if we go to our text, it says Jesus saw the crowds. That word saw in the Greek doesn't mean just to see with the physical eyes. It does mean that, but it also means to put your mind towards, let your thoughts be consumed by, to really focus on what's happening around you. When's the last time that we actually picked up our eyes from our busy work schedule, all the things that we're doing, running through Kroger or Target or Walmart as fast as we can go, when's the last time we just paused and allowed some of those divine interruptions that Pastor Chris was talking about last week and see Jesus was slowing down enough that he noticed? What's going on in culture? What's happening to the people around me? I want to be sensitive to the needs and the pain and the issues of our culture. Today, it's my job to help us a little bit to kind of pick up our eyes 
and be reminded while God is doing great things here, the devil is trying to completely destroy our community and our state. And it cannot happen on our watch. We have to be aware of what's taking place. Did you know in America in 2021, we hit an all-time record of 107,000 plus overdoses. To give you perspective, we set a record in 2020 with 93,000. And so last year it was 107,000. God only knows what it'll be this year. We just need to take a minute to kind of put things in perspective. I found these statistics just this morning. For ages 18 to 45, that age bracket, just that age bracket, the beginning of 2020 to the end of 2021, there were over 79,000 recorded overdoses of just fentanyl. Now think about this for a moment. In 2020, Border Control seized about 4,000 pounds of fentanyl trying to be smuggled into America. In 2021, it was over 11,000 pounds. God only knows how much it's been in 2022. No matter what the news media says, we do have a border crisis. And that border crisis is claiming the lives of people in our community. And we have got to become aware of what's happening. Because the beginning of 2020 for 2021, for the same age bracket, there were only 53,000 COVID deaths. I'm not saying that COVID wasn't real, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have done things to make sure that people were safe. I'm just saying, in the midst of all that, we took our eye off what the devil was really doing, and he claimed the lives of 79,000 people, which was actually the number one cause of death. We don't put half as much emphasis on people hurting emotionally and mentally and overdosing on fentanyl as we do on wearing masks and being distanced and being safe. So we've just got to keep things in perspective. And as the church, we have to identify what the needs and issues are of our community and respond not to the propaganda or to the agenda of someone else, but to the needs of the people that are hurting because that's our job. We have to have eyes to see. We've got to be people that think and live at a deeper level. You can't just be a robot and consume whatever Fox News or CNN tells you. You've got to get out into the weeds of life and to begin to understand the needs of the people in our communities and in our world. Think about this. There were 7,756 abortions in 2021. Now, I want to say, first of all, publicly, I'm so thankful for those who represent us in the state of Indiana because they have done an amazing job trying to pass Christ-like legislation for our country or for our state. Praise God for them. Can we just honor them for a minute? Because first of all, first of all, this number was in the 10,000 range on average until they passed some restrictions. Even with Roe still in existence, they passed restrictions that brought that number back to the 7,000. So praise the Lord for that. But then, of course, we have passed one of the best pieces of legislation in the entire country that in Jesus' name will go in effect next year when they stop blocking it in the courts, and we will be a state that stands for life in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house? Life Centers is a wonderful organization that we partner with here in the Indianapolis area, and just this week, they were talking about how in Texas, when they had the heartbeat bill pass and abortions plummeted, the number one need that they had at these crisis pregnancy centers was ultrasounds because the demand for ultrasounds went through the roof. They said, you know, when a woman walks through our doors in a crisis pregnancy, if we're able to give them counseling and care, about 50%, 51% of them will choose life. But if we can get that woman an ultrasound, 
the number goes up to 80% who will choose life. And so because we do what we preach, we wrote them a check this week for $25,000 from the church to buy another ultrasound machine because we are going to stand for life. We're not just going to preach about it. We're going to be a part of the solution. And there's more work for us to do. There's also 5,000 people plus who are homeless in Indiana. What a terrible state to be homeless in. It gets really cold here. Some of you think you're suffering for Jesus because you don't have auto start on your car. Think about somebody sleeping in that because we don't have enough beds. We don't have enough shelters. We don't have enough places. And it's easy for us to sit up here in our silver chair with our privileged life and say, well, if you would just work harder, if you just quit begging on the side of the street, if you just kick those drugs, but you and I have no understanding of the cycle of poverty and addiction and pain that these people are trapped in and that is a spiritual thing that we have to help them get out of. They cannot rescue themselves. It's our job to allow Jesus to use us to make a difference. Why? Because we are Christ's ambassadors. He is making his appeal through us. Listen, the church is God's plan. The church is the rescue mission. We are the expression of Jesus. So look, I love all kinds of ministries. I love, man, I love life centers. I think they're amazing. And I love Wheeler Mission downtown. I think they do an incredible job and we support them. I love television ministry. We're on TV. But Jesus is not returning for a television ministry, a crisis pregnancy center, or a homeless shelter. Jesus is returning for the bride, his church. This is the thing the gates of hell will not prevail against. You and I are the solution. So if we're not out there aware of what's going on, who's making a difference? We all think a difference should be made, but that's our job. We're the ones. So Jesus saw, he was aware of the people around him. And then he was moved with compassion because he saw the condition. They were sheep without a shepherd. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. See, the problem in the church is the problem we have in America. The church has too many watchers and not enough workers. There's a labor shortage in the kingdom. It's always been true. About 20% of the people do 80% of the work. About 20% of the people do 80% of the giving. The 20-80 rule is real. And I'm not here to beat you up about it. I'm just saying, just dream with me for a minute. What would the kingdom look like if all of us gave and if all of us served and if all of us shared the gospel and if everybody invited people to church and we all got out there and made a difference together? What would it look like? Man, I can tell you it'd be a little bit different than it is right now. We're very blessed. We got a lot of people that participate, and financially, we have no needs here at the church. But can you imagine what we could fund? Could you imagine the lives we could save? Can you imagine the ministries that we could support? Man, there's nothing that hell could do to stop us. So he said in verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field. Number two, we have got to pray. We've got to pray that God would equip his saints to go and do the work, but we have to back up a little bit and remember that God has called us to pray for people as well. First Timothy says it this way, I urge you to pray for all people. Ask God to help them and intercede. This is called intercession when you pray for someone else. Intercede on their behalf and then give thanks for them. Give thanks for all people. Now that's easy for us to give thanks for people who are kind to us, people who like us, people who look like us and act like us, who raised like us. 
But that's not what this verse is saying. It's saying pray for all people and thank God for all people. God, I just thank you today for that neighbor that keeps reporting me to the homeowner association. I just <laughs> bless them in Jesus' name. I thank you for that atheist at work that keeps trying to get me in spiritual arguments and make me look a fool. Lord, I just ask that you would touch them. I pray that you would touch those people that are full of vitriol and hatred towards the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, I thank you that they exist. I thank you that you're blessing them and pursuing them. Wake them up in the middle of the night with a revelation of the Holy Spirit. Pour out your favor and blessing on them, God. I just ask that you would touch them by your power. I pray for those people that are working overtime to destroy my life to take my kids off track. I just pray that you would touch them in Jesus. It's hard to do. That's what the Bible says. It says, in fact, this is good and pleases our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. He wants everyone to be saved. So we have to pray because nothing happens in the natural till it first happens in the spiritual. And spiritually, they're blind. The devil who rules this world, 2 Corinthians says, is blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They cannot see the light of the good news. It's not that they haven't heard. It's that they can't see. See, most everybody in America has heard. Unfortunately, what they've heard is something that's perverted. It's probably religious. It's probably tainted. And so they have what the Bible calls strongholds, which is confusion in their mind. Demonic strongholds are lies and arguments that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So strongholds are things like God doesn't really love people if he exists at all because I was raped or I was abused or there is crime. And if God really loved people, there'd be no pain or suffering. So God's not real. Or he doesn't care, or he's not engaged, he's not worth serving, maybe he's not that powerful. See, all of these things are the things that blind people. So when people come to Itown, we know it's probably not the first time that they would hear, but definitely we're praying it'd be the first time that they would see that we take authority over whatever the devil has over their lives and over their minds. They'd encounter the loving presence of the Almighty God, and they would go, oh... Now I see. So we have to pray. It's called spiritual warfare. And then we have to participate. First Corinthians, Paul says, my work was to plant the seed, and then Apollos' work was to water it. See, we all have different roles, but praise God, it's God, not us, who makes it grow. So it's not your job to save people. You don't have to go around telling them all how bad they are and how horrible they are and stressing over whether or not they make it to heaven. No, that's between them and God. The Lord is working his process out. What you and I have to be faithful to do is to say, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, let, let, me, let me hear your story. Tell me about it. You're obviously hurting and suffering. Is there something that you want to talk about? We just have to allow those divine moments to take place. Sometimes you're planting the seed. Sometimes you're watering something that someone else planted. But nobody usually comes to Christ with one conversation. It's a, man, I had a neighbor that believed in Christ and was always so loving and nice and their marriage was so strong. It was really incredible. And then I watched this thing on television and I heard this thing on the radio. Now I'm having this conversation with you and it all feels like there's something going on. You see, God uses all of us doing our job collectively together. We've got to step in and make a difference. And we do that, first of all, by prayer, and then we do it by personally getting involved. He saw the crowds, had compassion, because he saw their condition. They were sheep without a shepherd. People need to be shepherded. They need to be helped. They need to be loved. They need to be led. And so, number three, you and I, we have to show that we care. 
It's not enough for us just to talk about it. It's not enough for us just to pray about it. We have to actually do something about it. James says it this way, chapter one, real religion, the kind that passes muster before God, is this, that you would reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight. Now, I love that word plight because that it literally means affliction and heaviness. It, there's this weight that comes with those conditions. Some of you here may know what it's like to have everybody abandon you and everybody betray you and have no one who loves you, no one who's got your back, no one who's in your corner. At least the devil loves to make people feel that way. And when you feel completely isolated and alone, you know how much weight that creates in your life? When you don't have a mom or dad to call, when you get in trouble, when you don't have somebody to fall back on when you're in crisis, when you're in trouble and there's zero people for you to talk to, there's weight that comes with that. When you don't have a roof over your head, maybe physical homelessness, or maybe emotionally you just feel like you have no one to count on, no one around you, or, or financially you're just completely broke, this, these conditions create a weight. And so real religion steps into the gap, identifies the need, and says, hey, I'm going to help. Because Christian maturity is not defined by what we know, but by what we do. It's time for the church to start living out what we profess to believe. Honestly, I am sick and tired of this internet generation of people who have two thumbs and an email address thinking, even though they've never given and they've never served and they've never made a difference, that they're going to bring accountability and correction to the churches and leaders who are. Come on. It's time for all of us to get in. The church is the only organization that shoots at itself. We're the only ones that attack each other. We spend so much time attacking other Christians, we forget to fight the devil. And he is the enemy, not other Christians and not other denominations. We are fighting the devil. And it's a battle that we must win. And so instead of being on our high horse and consuming all this deep content, which I think it's great to know the word, but if all you ever do is obsess over being deep, but you're walking past hurting people, you are no better than the, the people in the Bible, the Pharisees, that just stepped over the hurting person on their way to judge more people. You're not making a difference. You're actually making it harder for the rest of us to win the world. So come join us. Because we need you serving. See, everybody wants to know that we're feeding the homeless and that we're helping people in crisis, pregnancy crises and that we're out there loving the homeless and that we have all these ministries that serve. And some of us will even care about it enough to give a little money towards it. But there's only about 15 of us in a church of 7,000 that'll show up on a Saturday to do something about it. And I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just saying this is the condition of where we're at. It takes all of us being aware of what's happening and then all of us actually doing something about it. Proverbs 3 says, never walk away from someone who deserves help because your hand is God's hand for that person. And yet, just like Pastor Chris said, we all come up with our excuses of, man, I'm really busy and I've got an appointment to get to and I've got somewhere to be. And we just brush these moments off that are divine appointments for you and I to share the love of Jesus. I love this story in John chapter four. Jesus is passing through the Samaritan village and it's about lunchtime. So he sends his disciples off to get lunch and they go to Chick-fil-A. They're gone forever. It's obviously not Sunday because they're open. But it's the Lord's chicken, so it's blessed and there's a line eight miles long to get in. In every city in America. I don't know what. There's some kind of drug in that chicken, I'm just telling you. I don't know what it is, but... 
And so these guys are gone forever. And Jesus begins a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. And a well wasn't just a place to get water. A well in those days was like a Starbucks. It was a place that you would go and meet friends and have a drink and relax and, and spend some social time. And so Jesus goes to this social gathering place that's very public, but then he does something that is radical for that day. He engages in a conversation with a Samaritan woman. See, in those days, men didn't talk to women in person at all. And Jews did not associate with Samaritans because they thought that they were lesser than and literally just kind of brushed them off. See, Jesus kind of set the stage for us to understand that there is no dis discrimination in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what sex you are. It doesn't matter what your background looks like. Jesus loves everyone. He has come for everyone, and it's called us to reach everyone, people that look like you and people that don't look like you, people that believe like you and don't believe like you, people who are raised like you and people who are not raised like you. We're supposed to reach everybody. And so his disciples come back, verse 27, and they, they were surprised to find him talking to a woman, like, this is not normal. What is he doing? Well, she left, because she ain't got time for them. She goes into the city and she finds the people and she tells them, you need to come see this guy. He told me everything that I've ever done. I think he's the Messiah. So now the town is all coming for revival. They're all coming to meet Jesus. So revival is about to break out. Literally, there is an entire city on their way for a revival meeting. Here's the response of the church. The disciples urged him, you, we gotta have some lunch. Isn't it true that like, we have lines out the door to get into church, and the Christians are like, man, it's going to jam us up for lunch. Listen, when he's done, you get the kids, I'll get the car, and we will meet in the parking lot. I'll swing around to that back exit where there's no car. We'll get this thing figured out. We're getting out of here, because we're going to make it to lunch first, because the Lord knows Hamilton Town Center is slammed after this. Chris, something about Christians that like, as soon as we finish breakfast, we're like, we're going to eat. You want something to eat? Sunday, we should probably eat. While we're eating, what are we going to eat next? Where are we going to eat? I'm obsessed with food. So the disciples are like, we need to have lunch. Jesus is like, revival is coming. Disciples are like, man, this is going to be inconvenient. It's a long line. Uh, we're already tired. The Chick-fil-A is going to get cold. Doesn't he know? It's stuff. I mean, the foil, it lasts longer than everybody else. It's a great product, but, you know, it's only so good when it's really hot. And Jesus said, I have food that you know nothing about. Because he's talking about how it's so nourishing and empowering when you do the will of the Father. And that's why I want this for you, because I don't need anything from you. I want this for your life. Your life will radically change with fulfillment when you begin to serve others. I'm just telling you, if you get out of this community and drive about three miles south and start to see the poverty and the hurt that's just on the other side of 465, children sleeping without beds and people going without food, it will break your heart. You'll stop complaining about your carpet. You'll stop worrying about that car you drive because it runs. It'll change your perspective. It'll bless your life. And his disciples' response was, come on, man, did somebody go to Taco Bell? He knew we were getting the Lord's chicken. Somebody else brought him food. That ain't fair. That's not real food. They make that out of cat meat. That's not real food. <laughs> Crunchy, meefy, belty, cheesy, whatever that stuff is. That ain't right. Jesus said, no, y'all don't. It's, I didn't have a taco, man. 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There's something that's energizing about living out your calling. But the problem is sometimes as Christians, we get so busy facilitating what we do, we forget why we're doing it. So we get into the routine of just going to church and getting in and getting out and sometimes even serving and we're just parking cars and opening doors and watching kids. But that's not what we're doing. We're impacting lives for eternity. We are welcoming people to God's kingdom. We are opening the door for them to encounter him in his house. We are training up a generation back there to walk in the ways of the Lord and hear his voice. What we do matters for all eternity. And it matters because it's people. It's not a task. It's people. So Jesus says to him in verse 35, hey guys, don't you have this saying that it's still four months into the harvest? They're saying in the natural, we got time. There's time. But Jesus is saying, you got to open your eyes. This Samaritan village is coming. Become aware of the fact that the fields right now are ripe for harvest. That the people in your world are ready for Jesus. You don't have to wait till Christmas services to invite them. You don't have to wait till somewhere three or four years from now to share your faith. Like right now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Stop putting it off to some other season or some other meeting or some other person. Now is the time. This is the moment. If we'll just be willing to be inconvenienced, you can make an eternal difference in someone else's life. He said it this way, let your light shine so that people will see the good that you're doing and they'll praise your Father in heaven. Listen, church, this is the season to get engaged. You've never been involved, now is the time. For Thanksgiving, we're gonna feed over 2,000 families a Thanksgiving meal in our community. We need your help. We're gonna need you to help us pull all that off. We have Angel Tree coming. We're gonna serve all of these children that are the most vulnerable in our community and make sure they have a lights out Christmas because they deserve to have someone say, God loves you and so do we. You can be involved. There's a missions booth in the lobby at every campus. You can travel the globe next year and share the love of Jesus to other people groups and there are trips within our own country. You could be a part of being a light. We'll have our vision offering in December that radically accelerates the mission and the vision that God has called us to, not just in this house, but for our ministry partners as well as we are generous to the world around us. There's so much that we can tangibly do to serve in this season. I'm inviting all of you to be a part of it because I'm just telling you, your life will be better if you do. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. That means us as well. We can't just become aware and then pray about it. We have to actually step out, inviting our people, our friends, our world to the love of Jesus. Number four, be ready to share. You and I also have to be involved. We have these cards, which I don't have mine anymore. We have these little cards at every campus. You can grab on the way out and you can leave somebody an extra big tip when you're somewhere that says a little something extra and it's got a scan. You, they can scan it and they can find information about the church and information about the Lord. You can buy somebody's drink at Starbucks or maybe you're just in a conversation to share it with somebody. Because we are here, we are empowered, we have taken this journey together so that we can shine our light to the world that needs it desperately. As we close, access it this way.
You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. The reason why we have these moments in God's presence, the reason why we need revival is because the world outside of these walls needs revival. They need the light of Christ to shine brightly through us. We have to go everywhere and tell everyone. Go everywhere, tell everyone. Go everywhere, tell everyone. This always has been and always will be the heartbeat of Jesus. It's the reason why he came. It's the heartbeat of our church. And the gospel doesn't ask, it demands that every one of us participate. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna pray that God would show you your next step and that you be faithful to take it today, whatever that looks like, that he would empower you and strengthen you. That we be a church that becomes aware and prays, gets on our face, that we serve in tangible ways and begin to share our faith. I'm telling you, if all of us do it, we'll make our state a hard place to go to hell from. Before we pray for that, I wonder how many people are here in this service at all of our campuses. And for one reason or another, you yourself are far from God. Maybe you've never been rescued. I want you to know today, there is no such thing as a good person. We can't save ourselves. All of us are born sinful. That's why Jesus came and died in our place. He didn't come to judge you. He didn't come to get even with you. He's not trying to punish you. He came to set you free. My Bible says he longs to show us mercy. I want you to know he's a loving and gracious God. And he has an amazing plan for your life if you'll just surrender to him today. I want to give you that chance. I'm not going to make you stand, come to the front, no embarrassment here. We just want to connect you with Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed at every campus, maybe that's you today. Would you do me the favor? One thing I'm asking, with no one looking around, you slip your hand up high and say, count me in on that prayer. Come on right now, if that's you, just say, I need a fresh start. I need a relationship with Jesus today. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So proud of you all across the room. You can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we're going to do. I'll give you the words. You can pray them quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today. I repent of all my sin. And I invite you to be my Lord. I surrender to you. Make me brand new. And fill me with your power. In Jesus' name I pray. God, I thank you for what you continue to do in us, but God, we're incredibly excited about what you want to do through us. Thank you that revival is not about us or for us. It's about a world that's hurting and lost. I pray today that you would help us to open our eyes and see that there is a harvest waiting on the other side of our obedience. Let us be people of prayer, but let us also be people of action. God, let us everywhere we go share the love of Jesus with everyone. We thank you for the blessings of God that rest upon our lives, empowering us to do your work. Thank you, God. It's such a critical time that you have chosen us to be a part of the solution. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer? Yeah. so much for joining iTown Church online today. 
would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.